Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The following podcast contains adult content, explicit language, and sexual themes. Listener discretion is advised. And it contains murder. Lots and lots of murder. You stinking bastard. People tell me, hey, you're going to go die and go to hell. I think I'm not wrong. Time for 911. Where's your emergency? Oh, this is Sandy. I'm pretty one look. Talk to the roof. Send the police. Send the police. One in the chest, one in the head. Fired by Detective Sergeant Roger Rogerson. I was uh, branching out. That's when the cannibalism started, eating of the heart and uh, the arm muscle. Oh, oh we're now Carl Williams. He's still coming down with this. He's a pull of his backside. Carl Williams is a wobbly bottom little cher- cherub face, cherub face little boy who would, who would, who would, who would, whose whose life would be. I harm someone each time. I- Kill someone to be an enormous amount, of, uh, especially at first. Uh, enormous amount of, of horror, guilt, remorse afterwards. But then that impulse to do it again to come back even stronger. Jessie Hickman, also known as the Lady Bush Ranger and the Wild Woman of Wallamai, led an extraordinary but short life. Given away to the circus at the age of eight, she became a rough rider champion, only to be washed up at the age of 17. Turning to a life of crime, she became the menace of the bush, wearing men's trousers, stealing cattle and evading coppers. Quick with her fists and her boots, Jessie ensured any man that would take her on had met his match. Hi, I'm Barney Black. And I'm Tara Saravan. And this is Bloody Murder. We're a comedy true crime podcast focusing on some of the lesser known crime stories from Australia. And indeed around the globe. Now, as a comedy true crime podcast, we sometimes use humour to lighten up horrifying stories, but never at the expense of the victims or their loved ones. Yeah, because murder ain't funny. No, no, not particularly. Uh, But what happens around it can be incredibly ridiculous. If you think comedy has no business being associated with tragedy, then Bloody Murder may not be the podcast for you. Before we commence our sordid tales, we'd like to remind you this episode is brought to you by our wonderful and generous patrons. We've had quite a few new ones join our fancy Patreon program, which we will thank individually after our story. If you'd like to become a patron, go to our website for details. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com. As a patron, you have access to dozens of other episodes, including our Love It or Hate It, There Is No In-Between first season, and ad-free versions of all our regular episodes. As a patron, you'll also have access to exclusive patron-only episodes where we pretty much do what we're doing now, but sometimes we wear matching shorty sailor suits and seductively eat popsicles. Yum. Yum. Levels above $5 receive stickers and handmade Barney badges. And levels $10 and above get a selection of bloody legendary merchandise. Mm. All right, Tara, let's get murdery. Let's start this story by meeting a Prussian breadmaker by the name of John Bescher. John left his native Prussia, a German kingdom, in the 1850s to settle in London, England. On September 1st, 1859, John fell in love with a local woman named Jemima Hunton. Soon afterwards, they married at St. Luke's Church in Chelsea. Getting hitched after a short courtship was common in those days, Tara. Yeah, there was no time to fuck about. Like, what was the life expectancy? Around about 40? So if the polio didn't get you, the syphilis sure would. Well, according to Mary Reid, writing for The Guardian, there is a common misconception about life expectancy. It is heavily skewed by infant mortality. For example, in 1850 in England, life expectancy at birth was 42, but over 25% of children died before the age of five. For those who survived, life expectancy rose to 57, and more so if you got past 31. You would most likely make it to 80. 
Oh, so in conservative Victorian times, getting married quickly was probably more about having God-sanctioned sexy time, huh? Exactly. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. After John and Jemima got hitched, they had God-sanctioned sexy time many times, managing to produce 11 children in 18 years. Oh, ouch. Ouch. Mm. Now, bakers don't earn a fortune, so the Bishler family was one of dirt, poverty, disease and destitution. And waking up really early to go be a baker. Sounds like a shit gig. It didn't help that prolific impregnator and breadwinner slash maker John Bishler went off and died in 1878. Selfish bastard. How did poor Jemima cope with all those hungry mouths to feed? Well, Tara, in short, she did not. In fact, it got so bad she was forced to give up a few of her youngest. They were donated to local orphanages where they were made to work 18 hours a day producing iPhones and fidget spinners. Well, that's a bit anachronistic and rubbish. Indeed, but not all was rubbish. One of her sons, Charles Beecher, managed to escape the dreaded workhouses. At the age of 13, he joined the Navy as a boy seaman cadet. That seems a tad young to be a boy seaman cadet. It was. He lied and told them he was 15, the minimum age to be a cadet boy seaman lad thingy. you got to stop saying boy seaman. No. <laughs> boy seaman Charles's records show in the beginning of his seafaring career his behaviour was deemed acceptable. In fact, he scored a couple of goods and one very good. How descriptive. But alas, a couple of years into his boy seaman service... Seriously, you got to stop it with the boy seaman. Records show him spending more than a bit of time in the brig and in cells in Navy bases on shore for what I can only guess was drunken shenanigans and rambunctious behaviour. Whilst in the Navy, Charles sailed to Sydney, Australia on the HMS Diamond where he ran into a spot of bother. There he served 42 days in Darlinghurst Jail on unnamed charges. Hmm, more drunken shenanigans and rambunctious behaviour? I'd say something else. Something like when two men love each other very much. (laughs) Ooh, saucy. That certainly shouldn't be illegal. No, hell no. Whilst in the clink, Charles managed to get a tattoo of spots on his left arm. Leopard print sleeves? Nice. Yeah. Afterwards, the HMS Diamond sailed south to Melbourne where Charles promptly deserted. Now on the lamb, he was described in the Victoria Police Gazette as a 24-year-old native of London, 5 feet 7 inches tall, brown hair, hazel eyes, a fresh complexion and firm, proud buttocks. A neck like a chimney, a dolphin-shaped gallbladder and knuckles like freshly baked cinnamon rolls. Oh, yeah, they sniffed his knuckles. That's how they knew they caught him. Yum. He was soon nabbed and sent back to England on the HMS Tamer. His report card on returning to his native country did not say much. In fact, the only word found on it was unsatisfactory. This was enough to get him discharged dishonourably discharged. That's one of the worst kinds of discharge. Yeah, it is. The final entry for his naval records read, Sure, objectionable. See, that sounds like my home economics report card. Give or take a couple of words. What? She sure is objectionable. Newly unemployed Charles tried his hand at a few trades with limited success. He borrowed some money for some harebrained schemes which failed and put him into debt. The Navy also had a long list of fines outstanding against him. With the debt collectors hot on his heels, Charles secured a gig on a merchant ship. He wanted to resettle in Australia, but thought New Zealand would be a better place to land, as his criminal record would prevent him entering Sydney. After a couple of years of working in the mining industry in New Zealand, Charles Beecher changed his name to James Hunt. (laughs) Should have went with Michael Hunt. Mike Hunt. I get it. (laughs) Soon after, he headed to Sydney with a clean slate and a thirsty stare. Hey, baby. (laughs) I got one of those right now. Charles slash James first headed to the rocks in Sydney, which he did not find much to his liking. There were too many sailors who might recognise him, so he headed inland to Bathurst and then to Baraga. Here he met the love of his life, Susanna McIntyre, and the two were married in Rockley. On the marriage certificate, James listed his birthplace as Wollongong and his parents as Robert Hunt and Mary Vidler. Susanna, if she could read and write, might have questioned this as James had a thick London accent. However, Susanna signed the marriage certificate with an X. Over the years, James received some letters from England, some of which contained photos. He quickly hid them away and never showed them to Susanna. The only time he'd talk of his past was sometimes when he was drunk, 
which was most days, and the tales he would tell would be of his experiences in the Navy. Soon into their marriage, they had a son whom they named Hector. 18 months later, on September 6, 1890, out popped a daughter who they called Jessie. Baraga was a bit of a shithole. The Hunt family was dirt poor. Snows in winter made the place unbearably cold, and the little work that Daddy James got in the mines was never enough. Mostly because he spent the majority of it on booze, tobacco and gambling. Then he wasted the rest. Yeah, then he wasted the rest. Susanna took in sewing and washing work to put food on the table for the kids. When Hector and Jesse were old enough, Susanna insisted they attend school. She did not want him to grow up with the impairment and shame of being illiterate like herself. When the price fell out of the copper market in 1891, whoa, that was a hard year. Oh, the arse fell out of the copper back in 91. Ah, oh, it's fucked. Well, James decided to ramp up his drinking and gambling. He thought that would fix it. But... Well, did it fix it? No, no. no. Okay. Well, he did it so much so that Susanna kicked him out and told him to get a job or don't come back. Yeah, fair enough. James went to Bathurst seeking employment. The job he secured was thieving garb from clothing merchants. This too he failed at. He was arrested and convicted of pantaloon theft. Oh, OG snowdropper, eh? Indeed. This was frowned upon and he was sentenced to two years of hard labour at Bathurst Jail. Although Susanna missed James, especially his small contributions to their kitty, life was better without him. After being released, he returned to Baraga, but only briefly. James immediately commenced his drinking and tomfoolery and Susanna soon threw him out on his drunken ass. Never come back again unless you get a job and stop spending all your money on bullshit. James, you're a bum. Yeah, you're a bum. Dressed up like the ass has fallen out of your pants and the mining industry. I don't care for it. As more mines shut down around the area, less folk brought in the clothes for mending or washing and Susanna soon found it almost impossible to feed her children Hector and Jessie. Meanwhile, eight-year-old Jessie had developed a love of horses. She was especially thrilled when the travelling buck jumper circus shows came to town. Jessie even got to meet expert horsemen, including disgraced soldier Breaker Morant, who was later executed. Wasn't a good day for Breaker. Not that day, no. No. I'm just relieved that you've stopped saying boy semen. Jessie noticed he was a bit of a prick, loud, obnoxious, and a big drinker, much like her father, the boy semen cadet. No. But Jessie admired him for his riding skills. One summer day, the Highlands Vice Regal Circus visited Baraga. Jessie was spellbound by the skillful trick riders and was thrilled to see that some of them were teenage girls. The Hunt family stayed and watched the miraculous riders perform all manner of amazing stunts all afternoon and into the night. The next day, Jessie and Hector woke up to the sounds of their mother Susanna sobbing. Wiping away her tears, she made the children breakfast and then dressed them. Jessie was surprised when Susanna dressed her in her finest clothes and packed a small suitcase for her. Holding her children's hands, she led them down to the site of the Highlands Vice Regal Circus, who were packing up their tents and were about to leave. With more tears in her eyes, she turned to Jessie and said, Jessie, you're going to live with this show from now on. You love horses, so you should be happy living among so many. Just remember, Hector and I love you too and will miss you dreadfully. Go on now. You belong to them. Jessie was horrified and started to cry. What about you and Hector? Won't I be able to see you anymore? I don't want to leave. Let me stay. Susanna gently explained to eight-year-old Jessie that she could not afford to keep them both. Jessie watched her mother and brother walk off as she felt someone grab her hand and lead her away to her new life. According to Out of the Mists, The Hidden History of Elizabeth Jessie Hickman by Di Moore, who's Jessie's granddaughter, FYI, for the next few weeks, Jessie cried herself to sleep every night. Now, I was very concerned that this was going to get really dark, but it doesn't. Hmm. Then one day, she just stopped. She rubbed her eyes and looked around her and realised that she liked what she saw. From that day on, she threw herself into her new life in Highlands Vice Regal Circus. I mean, yay, a carny at eight years old, it's, it's every kid's dream. Well, it really was a better life. She got to travel around and see the country, have an extended family and get to have food in her little belly. And of course, a life with horses. It's a My Little Pony little girl dream. MLP for life, bro. 
Yeah, look, she grew to love it. She learnt a bunch of new skills like training the animals and even trick riding. Jessie was initially shocked by the level of profanity used by the show people, though after a while she learnt that it was mostly used to show affection. Which of you cunts would like a slice of shit-hot cake? Fucking me! (laughs) Jessie found that show people were looked down on by regular people who thought them to be dishonest and rough. All Jessie knew was that show people were loyal to each other and worked hard. Damn hard. Animals needed to be fed, washed, brushed and exercised. As they moved from town to town, tents had to be collapsed and gear safely packaged into the wagons. (laughs) Clowns needed to be jerked off behind the bearded ladies' tent. Monkeys stacked in alphabetical order. The elephants had to be given just the right amount of candy corn. The horses had to have their manes permed and their tips frosted. And the less said about the needs of the ringmaster, the better. (laughs) (laughs) I would just want to write more of those all day. That would be my dream job. (laughs) The regular people were right though, Tara. The circus folks were rough and very dishonest, but not with each other. Jessie saw her new comrades pickpocket punters and do a lot of thieving in the townships they rolled through. Jessie saw and heard people doing things that respectable people don't talk about and was wary of the advances the girls got from older men. She soon learnt to be quick with her fists and her boots. Nothing like a quick kick in the dexticles to assuage an unwanted amorous advance, I say. Indeed. At ten years old, Jessie was taught to shoot and kept a loaded pistol under her pillow in case a drunk man came sniffing around her tent late at night. That makes me feel really bad for her, but it also makes me feel like all ten-year-old girls should have guns. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think they should. Probably not, (laughs) but I I like the idea of them not being vulnerable to predators, you know. That's what I'm just going like, imagine if they, they weren't. The proprietors of Highland's Vice Regal Circus were Professor Highland and his wife, who apparently didn't have a name. No, no. Mrs. Highland, who together had 11 children. Oh. Hey, baby. Yeah. Even so, they treated Jessie as one of their own. Baker's dozen. All the children were expected to practice horse riding and shooting every day. And, of course, to perform in shows. There were clowns, monkeys and wire walking, but the biggest draw cards of the circus were the trick riders. I don't know, if you go behind the bearded lady's tent at a certain time, you can see some interesting stuff with the clowns. As the years went by, Susanna and Hector slipped further from Jessie's memory. It wasn't just the seasoned performers who did trick riding, the circus children did it too. As many of the stunts were often extremely dangerous, it was common to have broken bones and more serious injuries. It was part of circus life. Although she grew to love the Highlands, Jessie wanted more. She wanted to be trained as a rough rider, not just a trick rider. Remind me again of what the difference is. Well, a trick rider is riding horses and doing tricks. Woo! You know, spinning around and jumping through hoops. Yeah, and, cool. That sounds know. fun. I mean, it sounds like a, you would hurt yourself, but okay. And a rough rider is uh, like uh, riding unbroken horses, so you can getting bucked around and stuff. I don't like the sound of that at all. Yeah, sounds like it would hurt your bum. When she was 11, she left the Highland Circus and joined up with another travelling show led by famed writer Lance Scoothorpe. I love that she's making major career decisions at the age of 11. Indeed. In the year 1900, Jessie joined another travelling show run by the famed acrobat James Martini, who was actually Irish and changed his name. Yeah, well, you know, he liked himself shaken and not stirred, I hear. Well, James Martini, well, he went by the name of Mart. That's a really unromantic way to call yourself when you're, when you're using the name Martini, isn't it? I know. <laughs> it was here with Mart, Jessie, in her early teens, became a national treasure, going on to be named Australian Ladies Rough Riding Champion in 1905 and 1906. Good for her. Mm. Jessie eventually became the ring mistress of Martini's buck jumping show. Sweet. Sweet? In letters, Jessie described these years as the happiest of her life. So let's fuck it up. Yeah, yeah. So now I'm going to tell you how it just gets ruined. It all came to an end on Saturday, June 30th, 1907, when Mart, while shoveling sawdust from a train, had a bad fall after a horse was spooked by a train whistle. Mart's legs became entangled in the reins and he was dragged along the rocky ground. His legs were badly cut. A doctor was called and he put 27 stitches in one leg alone. Mart was expected to make a full recovery, but died the next day of suspected internal injuries. 
Jessie felt her world had collapsed around her. Mart was the father figure she never had and she was heartbroken. After Mart's death, the show eventually folded and Jessie found herself out of work. She could have joined another troupe, but at the ripe old age of 17, Jessie felt it was time to retire from rough riding. Her heart just wasn't in it and she needed a change. And her bones had probably become less bouncy. While still grieving Mart, Jessie travelled to New Zealand for a change of scenery and a bit of a holiday. Touring the country, she was amazed by its natural beauty and spectacular vistas. Oh, that's beautiful. Look at that. Oh, look over there. It's a little hobbit. Oh, my God. Is that Sam Neill? When she got to Wanganui, she found a circus playing there. Wanting to relive some of the sights, sounds and smells of her glory days, Jessie bought a ticket and found her seat in the wooden bleachers. But before the show commenced, Jessie heard a loud crack The stand had collapsed, bringing down the tent in a cacophony of screams and splitting timber. The Wanganui Herald of April 21st, 1908, reported that nobody died in the accident, but 11 people were seriously injured, one of them being Jessie Hunt. Jessie spent a week in hospital. Afterwards, she suffered terrible headaches, which over the years just grew worse. While convalescing in a local motel, Jessie met a young newlywed named Christina Bellati, who went by the name of Kitty, for reasons. Jessie and Kitty hit it off right away and would become BFFs. Even though Kitty was on her honeymoon, the pair spent many evenings chatting into the late hours, much to the disdain of Kitty's new husband. Oh, you think my new wife would have wanted to hang out with me? Instead, she's laughing about the size of my balls with her new friend. How rude. (laughs) I mean, that's not very nice. She's only just been introduced to them. After a few weeks, it was time for Jessie to leave New Zealand and return to Australia. Settling in Sydney, Jessie started thieving to make ends meet. Her days in the travelling circus had taught her well, Tara. Initially, it was just food and clothing, but she soon moved on to cattle duffing and before too long was making a decent living from rebranding cattle and selling them to unscrupulous stockyards around outer Sydney. She also began gambling on horses and dogs, or with horses and dogs. Ah, yeah, yeah, like playing cards with them and playing pool with them, like in those paintings. That's right. Oh, I want to do that. Supplementing these debts by stealing. With her horse and dog friends. Bork. Woof. Whilst visiting some show people from her circus days, Jessie met up with an old friend from her martini days, a rigger from the Navy called Ben Hickman. Jessie, although never wanting to be tied down with marriage, fell hard for the handsome and fertile Ben. Oh, he's fertile. Oh, yeah. (laughs) In August 1912, Jessie was horrified to learn she was pregnant. Oh, fuck, I'm up the duff. Oh, no, thank you. Ben proposed, but married life was not for Jessie, and she thought she would certainly not be a good mother to a new baby. After much soul-searching, Jessie contacted her old friend Kitty, who she had met in New Zealand. Kitty was now living in Sydney. Her marriage was not going well, and she desperately wanted a baby. I think I know what's going to happen here. Um, She's going to get a baby and her marriage is going to magically be great. That's the one. After much discussion, <laughs> it was decided that Kitty would take the baby when it was born and bring it up as her own. Ben was appalled. Oh, that's rubbish. <laughs> that's not what you do with the human incarnation oh, of my fertile sperm. That's my son. And told Jesse if she did this, he would leave and never come back. Sure, Ben. Well, Jessie just said, don't hurt your ass banging it on the door on the way out. <laughs> but don't Je- bang your door on the ass on the don't way out. Don't bang your ass on the door on the way out or something. The door of me ass flaps. But Jessie was determined to retain her freedom. After she gave birth to a baby boy on March 6, 1913, he was given to Kitty. The baby was named Headley because it had a huge head. Oh, I hope not for her sake. Ben, to his word, did leave, but in a strange turn of events, Tara moved in with Kitty. Oh, well, that's, that's, um, that's progressive. Jessie found this quite bizarre, but she did not regret her decision. <laughs> yeah, off you pop then. Kitty was a piece of work, actually. Good piece of work or a bad piece well, of work? Well, obviously, um, her family disowned her, but not for that. No, what, why, what, why did they disown her? They disowned her earliest because in 1910 she got a driver's licence, and women, you know... Driving. Oh, my goodness. Breasts in a car behind a wheel? What if they explode and everybody on the road dies? You're driving a car, Kitty? 
No, no. I will never speak to you again. Oh, heavens no. Consider yourself written out of the will. No, no, no. Vaginas don't belong on driver's seats. They belong in the back seat or in a passenger seat. Never in a driver's seat. Yeah, yeah. She was one of the first women in Sydney to get her driver's license. Wow. Mm. Well, good for her. Good on you, Kitty. Only 1910. See, that's not that long ago. I mean, no wonder things are still pretty fucked if they were that fucked 110 years ago. Yeah. Well, well put. It's a fucking slow limp to progress, isn't it? <laughs> it certainly is limp. <laughs> certainly not hard. Headley never did find out who his real mother was. A few months after she gave birth to Headley, the law caught up with Jessie. She was charged with stealing a horse, three horse rugs, 13 fowl and four ducks. That's actually a recipe. I thought it was a Christmas song. Jessie was found guilty of theft and birdnapping and sentenced to 12 months at the Long Bay Jail Reformatory, which was a low-security prison just outside the walls of the proper jail. She was released for good behaviour after six months, but made to work for some rich family in Sydney for the remainder of her sentence. Jessie told herself she never wanted to be put in servitude again and vowed to never be caught by the police in the future. How did that work out for her? A few months later, she was charged with stealing a saddle, breaching, reins and some articles of clothing. Pantaloons? Jessie was sentenced to two years at Long Bay. By the time she was released, World War I was in full swing. They just called it World War back in those days, Tara. They didn't know there was going to be a sequel. Ah, yeah, wisdom. Ben, Jessie's baby daddy, left Kitty and little Headley and enlisted in the Australian Imperial Force, shipping off to France. Meanwhile, Jessie resumed her life of crime, hooking up with another cattle duffer named John Fitzgerald. Known around Bankstown as Fitz, Jessie shared his bed as well as the money from buying and selling stolen cattle. Fitz is described in Dymore's book, Out of the Mists, The Hidden History of Elizabeth Jessie Hickman as a grubby individual who only washed when he thought of it and his clothes got even less attention. When he was sober, he was friendly enough, but when he had a few, watch out. Run, Jessie, run. Absolutely. Fitz is what we would describe as a total dickhole. Fitz liked a bit of biffo and he preferred to fight small blokes and women. Jessie and Fitz worked with a slight man named Chappie who Fitz liked to beat up sometimes. Not for any real reason, just because he liked to bash up small men. What is he, Sheila Labar? Jessie liked Chappie. He was a mate. But one day, Chappie just wasn't there and Fitz was evasive when questioned about his whereabouts. That was when Jessie noticed his bruised and bleeding knuckles. Fitz killed Chappie? Yes, and Jessie had words with Fitz about it. Bad words. And if there's anything I've learnt from one-star reviews, a woman swearing is worse than a man committing murder. What happened next is disputed by some historians. Some researchers say Fitz came at Jessie and a fight ensued. Fitz grabbed a wooden chair and smashed it on Jessie's back. She went down with a thud. Fitz grabbed a knife, but in the time it took him to get it, Jessie grabbed a broken chair leg and swung it hard, clobbering Fitz right in his stupid noggin. He went down like the big sack of shit that he was. Blood gushing like a fountain out of his head wound. Jessie stood over his gurgling body, cussing and sassing him as he bled out. So did that really happen? Well, according to Jessie, it did. She told a number of people about the murder years later, saying she hid the body well and that nobody would ever find it. It was this desperate act of self-defence that began her life on the run. So did they ever find his body? Yeah. But he was missing though, wasn't he? He was. So there is like, you know, some um, legal proof, possible proof that this is true. In 1920, Jessie fled to the sleepy town of Candos near modern-day Wollamai National Park. But before leaving Sydney, Tara, she married Benjamin Hickman. Oh, the man who said he would never come back. Yeah. Yeah, he lied. Who shacked up with Kitty. Yeah. And Headley. Yeah, and then left them and then now he's marrying her. Well, Ben had left a heartbroken Kitty and son Headley to hook up with his old flame, Jessie. But the thing is, the marriage didn't last long with Jessie disappearing again into the bush. So then did he go back to Kitty? We don't know. I'm uh, not sure. She drove off in her car and went, screw I, I, you, buddy. I, yeah, get, get in, loser. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> don't get in, loser. 
The pair formally divorced in October 1928, with Ben noting in court that his wife was very fond of animals, horses and cows, and wanted to live on the land. Three hours from Sydney, the cattle areas of Rylestone and Candos border inaccessible and wild terrain, with cliffs and dark crevices dug deep into the mountainside. It was the perfect landscape for bushrangers like Jessie to disappear into. Her skill on horseback enabled her to take cattle through those mountains where even the bravest of men wouldn't dare to travel. Jessie would traverse steep ravines in the dead of night, herding stolen cattle on horseback under the cover of darkness. She rode astride like a man and to the unsuspecting eye could pass as a cattle rancher because she'd be dressed in men's trousers, (gasps) much to the dismay of any town folk who recognised her as a woman clutching my pearls. Scandalous, a woman wearing trousers. Oh, heavens no. Oh, yeah, she's got some big dick energy and she has to put it somewhere. Meanwhile, the headaches continued to plague Jessie. Although she had a few hideouts, Jessie mostly slept in a cave in the Wollamai National Park, situated high up a steep slope. But her antics soon caught the attention of local young men eager to share in her wild adventures. She called them her young bucks. With the support of these young bucks, Jessie had her pick of farms across the Mudgee region, herding stolen cattle up the mountainside before they could be sold off. Whether out of fear or because Jessie only targeted certain farms, many locals stayed quiet. Young bucks, eh? Young bucks. Yeah, I hear that she uh, she quite liked those young bucks. Gets pretty cold in that cave at night. It sometimes, can if uh, you don't have a young buck or two. Sometimes she might have a young buck stay Well, over. you know, maybe. Got to bring your own homemade sheepskin comdom. <laughs> you got to make it yourself. Yeah, yeah, that was a prerequisite. She's like, not going back to baby town. Yeah, not, yeah. Not, not for me, thank you very much. Hard to be a bush ranger with a young child. Her, cave, her cave had a brass bed in it and a, and a dresser and some cupboards and stuff. Brass bed up into her cave. Oh, said well, the vicar to the actress. Well, she had to drag it up the hill because you couldn't ride a horse up there. Wow. Um, she had to drag it up. Sounds mm. pretty cool. Might be a little dank sometimes. Probably a little dank. Mm. Yeah, it does snow up there in winter. Yeah, well, that's why you need a uh, need a lot of young bucks. Keep you warm. Yeah, it's, mm. it's their youth. One day, Jessie was riding through the town of Denman on a wild horse she had just broken in. The horse got spooked by a car horn. That's how cow horns went in those days. I thought that was your horse noise. So the horse got spooked by a car horn and was bucking frantically. Yes, was what? It was bucking (laughs) frantically. Thank you. Okay. (laughs) What did you think I said? Uh, Clucking? uh, Yeah. It's not a chicken horse. I thought you said fanatically. A crowd gathered to watch. Oh, look at that. Oh, wow. Check it out. (laughs) Is that not what they'd say? Oh, well, check it out, man. Have a look. It's like a lady on a horse and she's wearing man trousers. What's going on there? Well, it caused such a fuss, it was reported by a local newspaper who wrote, The ride caused such a stir in town, not because of the display of superb horsemanship, but because of the profane language by the rider. My kind of girl. While she excelled in her profession, Jessie's nonchalant attitude towards cattle ownership eventually brought her to the attention of the popo who were under enormous pressure to put the trouser-wearing witch behind bars. Burn her! They had made some headway into breaking up the stray cattle trade, but Jessie was now the leader of a whole network of bushrangers, and she had a knack for evading capture. She was a slippery sucker. Oh, yeah. She'd just just duck down and hide behind some young bucks. So when the police finally got her locked up in 1928, they wanted to make the charges stick. Fortunately for Jessie, on the day of her court hearing, the stolen cattle, which were the prime evidence, was stolen from the police. She was therefore acquitted and retired back to her cave hidden deep within the mountains. Yeah, her young bucks. Stole some cattle. That's what they did. They're good That's at what it. They did straight out of the police yard. Awesome. According to legend, she once escaped capture by plunging her horse over a cliff into the river below. And on another occasion, Jessie allegedly evaded police by climbing out of a locked toilet on a moving train. We've all been there. Yeah, I'm not paying for a ticket. In her 40s, Jessie began to have blackouts and to lose time. She'd wake up on horseback in the middle of the night not knowing where she was or how she got there. That actually does sound like something you would do, Barney. 
1936, Jessie Hickman died of a brain tumour, aged just 46. She's buried in an unmarked grave at Sandgate Cemetery in Newcastle, Australia. It is said that the Lady Bushranger, the wild woman of Wollamai, Jessie Hickman, lived by a strict moral code, saying to more than one person, no sponging, no dobbing, and no prostitution. Well, she certainly didn't take any shit from no one, Tara. And I really like that about her. She's a brassy broad. Yeah, trailblazer. Yeah, pant-wearing trailblazer. Yeah, huh? Huh, what a story. Yeah, wow. Um, Bummer about her getting injured in the whole collapse thing and leading to an early death, though. Hey, Ben was a bit of a cad. Um, moving, that's her baby daddy, right? Yeah. Moving, and they got married, yeah. Yeah, okay. moving between Kitty and uh, Jesse all the time. He also got a lass uh, pregnant in France when he was serving over there in World War One. Oh, yeah, yeah. She tried to contact him through the Australian Army, but he just didn't reply to any of her letters. It was like, oh, I just got to go back to Australia. I'll be back soon, help you with the kid and all that kind of shit. Bye. Yeah, he said to her that he was just going to go back to Australia to get discharged from the Army and then he'd come back to France. And, He's just uh, going back to Australia to pick up some milk and cookies for yeah. her cravings and then he'd be back to Look after oh, I'm her. just going out for a packet of smokes. Yes. Mm. Yeah, I'll be back real soon. Yeah, he didn't. He was a bit of a cad. Yeah, that's very cad like behaviour. And he's so damn fertile. I mean, he was pretty handsome. Though. I've seen a photo of him. He's got his hat on a jaunty angle, which says cheeky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and yeah, fertile, yeah. apparently. Would you let him impregnate you with his jaunty hatted babies? No. no. I don't I think it's physically possible. <laughs> but assuming that it was. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. So, considering that this is a Bizarro World episode, I'm going to ask you right now, what time is it, Barney? It's True Crime Nerd time. Woohoo! Hey! True Crime Nerd time. True Crime Nerd time. True Crime Nerd time. I love True Crime. True Crime Nerd Time is an opportunity for you, our listeners, to give us your recommendations for anything true or fiction crime related. It can be a book, movie, TV series, graphic novel, song, or just about anything that has scratched your crime-obsessed itch. You can record your voice, just do it on your phone, we'll play it, or write it, and we'll read it out. And we have one here from our most prolific new contributor, Keely Johnston. And she wrote about the podcast Killer Hangover. And she writes, Hi, Barney and Tara. I am back with another podcast recommendation, Killer Hangover. Again, this is a true crime-based comedy podcast. However, this one has a bit of a distinctive twist. It is hosted by a mother-daughter pair from the US. Each episode, they choose a location, usually a US state. Then they drink an alcoholic beverage from that state, tell a true crime story based in that state, then to bring up the mood and to give you a bit of a palate cleanser after the horrors of true crime, they tell a paranormal story from the area as well. As we know, these true crime stories can be real downers, so to have that pick-me-up at the back half really helps to bring you up from the murdery muck of the first half. And who doesn't like a good ghost story every now and again? Boo! Did I scare you? Um, not then, but in other ways, several times today. Their unique mix of humour, murder and ghost stories and well-mixed drinks really comes together in a way that can easily lead you to binging all the episodes they have. This is the third of my three podcasts I'm a patron of, so again, I hold them in high regard. Once you've powered through all of your bloody murder, as a recent patron, I'm nearly there... (gasps) Hop on over to Killer Hangover and give them a try. They also leave out the politics and provide a worthy escape from the normal hustle and bustle of daily life, as well as new drink recipes to try. (laughs) And with 2020 being what it is, she didn't write that. I put that in. I was wondering how you'd spell it. And with with 2020 being what it is, who couldn't use a little bit of that? Mm -hmm. Drink recipes. Hells yeah. Keely Johnson, Texas. 
Thanks, Keely. That podcast is Killer Hangover, the details of which will be in the show notes. Now, if you'd like to submit to True Crime Nerd Time, you really should. It's be as cool as Keely. Yeah, she can't do it every time. Visit our website, bloodymurderpodcast.com, for instructions on how to contribute. So 2020 is coming to a close, and quite frankly, I don't think it could leave us fast enough. Yeah, it's good to see the back of it. Is everything going on in the world at the moment, and the way this year has treated you, having a negative impact on your mental health? Are these unprecedented circumstances stopping you from achieving your goals? Have you had about as much as you can take, and you're not quite sure what to do about it anymore? Or perhaps all of this is just making other stuff you have to deal with even harder. Barney and I are both big believers in therapy, and there's no better time than now to take care of your mental health. BetterHelp is there for you no matter where you are. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment. And you can start communicating in under 24 hours. It's professional counselling that produces real results, not self-help. You can communicate with your counsellor at any time. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. All without having to leave your house, which is good, because some people can't. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counsellors if needed. That's very important. Yeah. It's more affordable than traditional offline counselling and financial aid is available. And, of course, it's a service you can access worldwide. You can be communicating with licensed professional counsellors who have a broad range of expertise and specialise in areas such as grief, family conflicts, anger, stress and depression. Anything you share is confidential. It's convenient, professional and very affordable. If you want to start living a happier life, connect with BetterHelp. And as a Bloody Murder listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com forward slash bloody murder. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. So many people have been using BetterHelp that they've recruited additional counsellors in all 50 states of the USA. Get matched by a counsellor that suits you by simply filling out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs. If you don't believe us, feel free to check the tons of positive testimonials on their website. So visit betterhelp.com forward slash bloody murder. That's betterhelp.com forward slash bloody murder. Hey, Tara, I have a question for you. Yes, Barney. What the hell is Aussie as? Seriously? (sighs) Aussie as are tales of criminal stupidity and bloody legends with a quintessentially Australian flavour. Would you like to hear one? Bork. (gasps) Woof. It's unusual to live to adulthood in Australia because most of the animals here want to kill you and they give it a red-hot go. If you're one of the lucky few who make it past the age of 18, you're often scarred, world-weary, highly suspicious of any movement you see out the corner of your eye, and you say cunt a lot because why not? You're a survivor and you deserve a little treat. I'm sure that our listeners are all aware of the danger of drop bears, particularly to tourists. Hell yeah. But I think our listeners are probably much less aware of the perils of Terminator kangaroos. So consider this Aussie as a public service announcement. A woman named Tracy Noonan was heading out for a morning jog a couple of weeks ago and she couldn't find her deodorant, so she just slapped on some nearby Sarah Jessica Parker perfume under her arms and headed out the door. According to an article in the Australian newspaper, Trace had been jogging in the Melbourne suburb of Beaconsfield for years and was used to seeing a lot of kangaroos in her travels. Usually they just ignored her, but this time it was different. Trace noticed a lone roo giving her the stink eye and hopping determinedly towards her. She told 3AW's breakfast show's Ross and Russell... It had to jump a couple of fences to actually get to me. And by the last fence, I thought, oh my God, this kangaroo is not going to stop. As the roo got within striking distance, Trace turned her back and covered her head and felt a massive thump on her back. The rowdy roo had body slammed her, knocking her to the ground. Trace said, I put my head back down because I thought, oh my goodness, this is now going to claw me to death. It all sort of happened so fast. See, kangaroos have large gnarly claws and they can easily disembowel you if so inclined. So she was right to be scared. Trace, entirely bemused by the random attack, got to her feet and began walking away from the slap-happy kangaroo, but it followed her, looking on the verge of pouncing again. 
Trace threw a handful of rocks at it to give her time to bolt towards the nearest house, but the Terminator Rue just kept on coming. It followed her up to the driveway and was only scared off when the residents of the house came out to help her. Trace stayed with them for around 20 minutes, hoping the Rue would find something better to do than try to kill her. As Trace nervously left the property, her heart sank when she saw the bouncing bastard waiting for her around the corner. Trace said, It was like something out of a horror movie. It just kept coming and coming. I thought, oh my God, this kangaroo was going to kill me. After eventually making it home alive, Trace spoke to a park ranger about the incident to try to figure out what had caused the angry kangaroo to stalk and attack her. Now, the ranger said... And this is weird. It was most likely her Sarah Jessica Parker perfume that made the roux see red. Kangaroos don't like Sarah Jessica Parker? Well, that's one way of looking at it. Well, there's another thing kangaroos and I have in common. Well, it's actually possible that they like it too much. Like the roux might have wanted to mate with the Sarah Jessica Parker stank. Trace didn't specify which Sarah Jessica Parker fragrance it was, and she's released a few, so unless you want to get up close and body slam personal with a stink-eyed kangaroo, maybe don't wear any Sarah Jessica Parker fragrances while jogging in Australia. Or take a punt and wear them all. Yeah, perhaps you'll find love or an interesting way to shuffle off this mortal coil. By getting fucked to death by a kangaroo. Oh, well, I mean, that's not exactly how I was picturing <laughs> well, it. Well, that's kind of the words you were trying to like, no, say. No, yeah. not exactly. The, I, was, I said the words I was trying to say, but you've read between the lines there. You've come up with an interpretation. So this brings us to the end of the episode. But before we go, we'd like to thank some people who took the time to write us some good reviews. So thank you to Truck Stop Murder, Bucksport from the USA, XXL Historian from the United States, he's back, and Jenny from The Block from Australia. We'd also like to thank the wonderful Lorraine for all the work she does running the Facebook group with me. And just for being a cerebral saucy strumpet. (laughs) You know who else is awesome? Our patrons. We love them. We do. We love them so much that we've been holding monthly giveaways. Our December prizes are two Barneys coming up my stairs t-shirt. Two Barneys coming up my stairs? That just always sounds wrong to me. I assure you it is not. It's an actual literal description. Yeah, a literal description of a recurring nightmare I have. For a chance to win Tara's worst nightmare on a t-shirt, <laughs> be a bloody murder patron at a level of $5 or above. Now there's do they not? I mean, one party is a handful. Two? That's, yeah. I don't have enough hands for that. Yeah, it's twice as nice. It's two bunny, two cakes. Cakes, two barnies. Now, we've had a bunch of new bloody legends join our Patreon program. So thank you to Ron Cummins, Alicia Major, Lauren Bischoff, Pat Bermont, Anna Kivimaki, Penny, Annalise Hull, and Tamika Siegman. We'd also like to do a special shout out to Amanda Head. If you would like to support us, visit our website. Or if you just want to us a drink. That's my thirsty voice. There's a PayPal donate button there too. Go on, click it. Buy us a beer. Or a strawberry milkshake. Yeah, we're not alcoholics. (laughs) (laughs) I've been Barney Black. And I've been Tara Saraband. And this is Bloody Murder. Please don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts, our IMDb listing, or our Facebook page. You don't need to write a well-crafted essay. Just five stars and... Chicks wearing trousers would still count. (laughs) Chicks wearing trousers rock. Woo! And the other day you were talking about men wearing skirts. Like, for some reason, uh, women actually got the the runner on this in that they can wear trousers and skirts and everything and no one's like, oh, lordy. But men, it's a bit, oh. So, yeah, bring on on the man skirts, I say. Everyone can wear whatever the hell they want. And, of course, please rate and subscribe. It really helps us avoid amorous encounters with local wildlife and carnival folk. You can follow us through our Facebook page and join our Facebook group. Through Twitter, we're at Bloody Murder Pod and Instagram, we're Bloody underscore Murder underscore Podcast. Check out our website, bloodymurderpodcast.com, for news galleries, more episodes and links to our fabulous threadless merchandise. Thanks for sticking around and we'll be back soon. Goodbye and adios. And keep kicking against the pricks. If you'd like to become a patron, go to our website for details. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com. 
Someone's scrambling for a pen now going, I'm going to write them a bad, I'm going to write a mean email. Let me get that down. I'm going to write a lovely email to Barney. (laughs) I'm going to tell him that he's very nice and thanks for trying to keep it classy. How? I don't know. Fart gags. Just having having the decency to have a dick while swearing, is that how you keep it classy? I do classy fart gags. <laughs> You've got classy fart energy. I do. <laughs> Thanks for keeping it classy, Barney. Let's start this story by meeting a Prussian bread maker by the name of John Bisha. Hi, John. <laughs> G'day, Tara. <laughs> how you doing, John? Oh, I'm Prussian. Yeah? You feeling good about how Barney pronounced his surname, or do you think he fucked it? Well, I'm long dead, so I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Got any relatives who might care? Might hit us up a little bit later? Nah, not really. Okay, good to know. Thanks, John. Thanks for coming back for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm a ghost. <laughs> Boo. Oh, I'm really glad I don't have to get up early to make bread no more. And waking up really early to go be a baker. Sounds like a shit gig. That's a lot of sex, though, apparently. Well, I mean, they only had to do it 11 times, really, didn't they? Well, that seems like a lot of times to me. (laughs) (laughs) Would seem like a lot of times to you. (laughs) That's got your past decade beat, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Kind of has. Legs 11. Oh, God, you got you got wood just thinking about the number 11 now, haven't you? It's been oh, so that's long. like two big hard dicks, isn't it? <laughs> dicks 11. That's what they call it in bingo, right? Oh, not in the bingo I play. <laughs> it's not sexy bingo, I know that for sure. And the tales he would tell would be of his experiences in the Navy. With dudes. When they love each other. Yeah. Mm. So tell me about the spots on your arm. Well, see, when two men love each other very much and they go to prison. Oh, sorry, London accent. This is my London accent. When two men love each other very, very much. They are like to get like a tattoo of like spots on each other's arms, eh? How about a bit of bum sex? No, thank you. But, you know, cheers, though. Meanwhile, eight-year-old Jesse had developed a love of horses. Nay! Wow! It was a horse noise. <laughs> People would go, oh my God, that's a real horse. They've got a real horse in the studio. Oh my God, Bloody Murder's got a real horse. Their, their team got in a real horse in their studios. <laughs> would you like a carrot, Mr. Persimmon? Oh. No. What about some sugar cubes? Hey, baby. No! <laughs> no, baby. <laughs> What do you mean you'd like to have a beer? Oh, ah. three times for three beers. Three beers. <laughs> Alrighty then. Alright. I'm not sure horses are supposed to drink beer. Are you sure, Mr. Persimmon? No beer until you finish your whiskey. Yeah, that's true. We have rules in this house, mister. Sorry, we have rules in our studios. Our no. team studio. Nay. We're a 50-person operation now. <laughs> well, okay, it's just us and there's a horse and a cat. But the horse is quite large. So's the cat. Mm. I look, the cat's on the horse. Ah! Oh, now the horse is on the cat. <laughs> oh! Ooh. Oh, he's into it. Oh, well, it looks consensual. Yeah, I'm he's just... stronger than I thought he would be. And quite flexible. You right with that, Laz? <laughs> okay. Mr. Persimmon? Oh, not till you finish your whiskey, buddy. Uh-uh, no. No beer till then. My cigars. Bad horse. (laughs) (laughs) And also, they're a special kind. You don't smoke them orally. Yeah, you heard me. Oh, how did you reach around that far? Uh, Butt cigars. Everybody's flexible when it comes to butt cigars. That's when everybody's limbs get disjointed. I feel sick. One summer day, the Highlands Vice Regal Circus visited Baraga. Jessie was spellwind. Spell. <laughs> yeah, it's like your mouth gave up halfway through. I said, oh, motherfucker, we're out of here. <laughs> Where you go? Come back, mouth. No, I'm going with Mr. Oh, Persimmon. I'm going, this way. I'm going with the horse. I'm going to bring him that beer he wanted. The Hunt family stayed and watched the miraculous riders. Pre- <coughs> oh. <sighs> <laughs> You're a fucking jukebox, aren't you? Yeah. You know what I've noticed? Because um, my boyfriend <coughs> loves making dad noises. He's just always, he talks to himself as well and like asks questions and makes like he, 
He's a one-man band. Oh, that lawn's not going to mow itself. Yeah, he'll say things like, yeah, yeah, that is pretty fucking stupid. It'll be like, <laughs> what? And we go, what? You were talking. Was I? Ugh. But, yeah, I've started making dad noises too and, like, sighing a lot and everything. Mm. It's all the lockdown and working from home. I've kind of, like, lost the filter mm. of not drawing attention to how incredibly fucking weird I am. <laughs> well, there's no one around to notice most of the time. I'm noticing. Yeah, well, you've always I'm, I'm taking mental notes, actually. I'm writing this down in my... my <laughs> you are a my, mental my, my note. My Tara diary in my head. Weird Don't shit that Tara does. Don't Tara phrase me. Don't weird shit that Tara does. It's fucking volume... 12, 12, 2012. I've even been doing toilet size. Plop. No, that's not what I meant. You would have to ruin my toilet size with a plop. What? My pure, unadulterated toilet size. Oh, no, girls don't poo, do they? No. No, they just suck it in till they die in a shit explosion, but everyone's okay with it. As long as they seem pretty and precise while they were alive. Oh, I want to watch that behind some perspex. So I can perspex. You put the splot on the perspex. That's right. (laughs) Perspex. Oh God! You say one thing wrong. You say Kathleen Turner once, (laughs) and you're fucked for life, aren't you? Oh God! That reminds me. I have to get you a I Heart Kathleen Turner T-shirt for Christmas. With more tears in her eyes, she turned to Jesse and said, "Jesse, you're going to go live with this show from now on." You love horses, so you should be fucking happy living amongst so many of them, probably, like, in the hay with them and shit. Now, just remember, Hector and I love you too and we'll miss you dreadfully. Go on now. You belong to them. (laughs) Seriously, it's going to be very cold if you're not careful. Yeah. With more tears in her eyes, she turned to Jessie and said, Jessie, you are going to live with this show from now on. You love horses, so you should be happy living amongst so many. Just remember, Hector and I love you too and will miss you dreadfully. Go on now. You belong to them. Duh. Duh. You love horses. Mm. You should be happy. <laughs> I just love it. You love horses. Go on. Dos for Dunya. Have a nice life. <laughs> I picked the boy because he's better than you. So she sent off the little girl and kept the boy because he can go work in the mines even though the mines are shut. Yeah, down. the mines are shutting. What's the point of that? Well, obviously she had a favourite child. You know, everybody does. I do. Yeah, but I've heard everyone has a favourite child. Yeah, yeah, so she got rid of the least favourite one. Mm, yeah, just so. happened to be a girl. Yeah. Mm, okay, coincidence. Jessie, much like myself, was horrified and started to cry. I just want to do the first bit as though we're at a HR meeting. Jesse, you are going to go. Jesse, you are going to live with this show from now on. You love horses, so you should be happy living among so many. Susanna gently explained to eight-year-old Jesse that she could not afford to keep them both. See, Hector's my favourite and I don't... You know, you got girl bits. They're inferior. Yeah, your you're... bits don't stick out, and I'm not into it. You're a bit hard on the eyes. Oh, <laughs> not, you're not much to look at. You seem like you're going to be ballsy later on, and I don't want to deal with teenage you. <laughs> <clears throat> Which of you cunts would like a slice of shit hot cake? Fucking me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, podcast that's is it, done. That's, that's done. it. We're, done. Uh, we're, done we're for out the of year. here. Yeah, that's 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 we've peaked. Well, we're peaked. We're we're not going to reach such majestic highs again. We're no. just gonna we're gonna quit on on this majestic high. We're gonna oh. go buy ourselves a secondhand yellow car and travel around the country in it. Why does it have to be yellow? Because we hate yellow cars. <laughs> <laughs> that's all we deserve. And it's all we fucking deserve. I don't know if you go behind the bearded lady's tent at a certain time, you can see some interesting stuff with the clowns. <laughs> juggling? Oh no! You you're gonna wish it was. I mean, it's juggling of sorts. Uh, some kind of magic show? Eh, uh, well, things do appear out of well, seemingly nowhere, and then disappear, mm. and then appear, and then disappear, and then appear. Oh no! That's too much clown dick, man. <laughs> oh come on! Too it's... much clown dick. It's the name of my fourth album. There's there's never enough clown dick. 
Well, I can never remember if there's too much or not enough. I'm not sure whether well, I'm not sure what the right amount of clown dick is. Well, I feel like none in, is the right amount of clown dick. In the past, dick. I've heard you say, "Oh, that's just not enough clown dick." <laughs> but I've never heard you say, "Oh, oh, too much clown dick." I just said it was too much clown dick. Oh well, that's the first time for everything. I'm getting older, man. I'm getting more mature and quite wise. <laughs> None of those things are true, except the older bit. You are something. Yeah, well, that's not, you're not wrong. Anyway, see that apple that I'm about to shoot? Consider that your testicles. Oh, no, I don't want to get blasted in the dexticle. No, you do not. Do you want the family back scratcher? It's not going to help. I have two back scratchers. One's my own back scratcher. That's my private back scratcher. Mm -hmm. And then I have the family back scratcher. Anyone can use that. But I can reach everywhere. I don't need a back scratcher. There's no part of my body that I can't reach with my hands. What if you want to beat me to death because I keep saying family back scratcher? Oh, it's better than um, boy semen, I've got to say. <laughs> and clown dick, better than clown dick? No. With a lot worse things than saying back scratcher today. Family back scratcher. Well, that does make it a little creepy. They kept lying that it wasn't on, and they were using sonic pressure on my head since 1997. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> 